Yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. Do I do I sound good? Cause I I can put some headphones in, or does the sound is still okay? Cool. Yes, you sound good. There's a certain level that I like to have my guests at, which is like just below my sound quality, and you're mm -hmm. right there. Cool, cool. Good that was a joke. You are now tuned in to Saved and Woke. Yes, I am. What up, everybody? It's your boy, MSW. That's Mr. Saved and Woke, also known as Juan Enrique Tusei, here with another episode of the Saved and Woke podcast. Please pardon the delay. I'm out here making it do what it do as best as I can, but I'm glad to have you with us once again for another episode. Before I actually get started, I do want to say that I really, really enjoy, I, I enjoy creating this podcast. I enjoy connecting with you all, the listeners. Um, I'm definitely, definitely down to increase the amount of engagement that I have with you all, my audience, and I can talk about ways that I would like for that to happen. But I do want to say that I appreciate every single one of you all for listening, for subscribing, for sharing for as long as you have. I'm just really, truly grateful for you all rocking with me so long. And for those of you all who are who are new to the show, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to take a listen to what uh, we have to say, whether you agree with us or not. Actually, you know what? Probably especially if you disagree. Thanks for taking the time to listen to someone else's opinion, to try, you know, stretch and uh, hear some hear about you know things you've heard about before but from a different perspective that you may not have heard i think we need so much more of that in our society today especially with how things are just politically charged in general not just politically charged but politically divided so a lot have a lot has gone down in 2021 i heard somebody say man january has been a long year and it definitely feels like that a lot so obviously the most notable thing is that Joseph Robinette Biden has become our nation's 46th president after what some have said was the worst, if not one of the worst presidencies that we've ever, that our country has ever experienced. Um, Trump, he did not start racism. He's not the author of white supremacy, but he was definitely... Uh, the mascots and not just a mirror, but also an amplifier of, of those things. And I think that a lot of people are looking forward to one, just some decency returning to the white house. And also for a lot of the racism that Trump encouraged and fomented to be broken down on a lot of uh, his harmful policies, um, specifically those harmful to people of color will be not only torn down, but also that Joe Biden will also go a step further and or his, his, along with his administration, go a step further and make some real change, change that, that has, that we've needed for a while, not just during Trump's presidency or as a result of his presidency, but change that we've been asking for, for years, even during the Obama administration. And I, the, what, the recording that you all will hear today, the conversation rather that you all hear, will hear today is a conversation that I had with my man Shannon a while ago about some comments like it was early or maybe in last summer, some comments that the CEO of Wells Fargo made about why there were not as many people of color represented, not just at Wells Fargo, but just in finance in general. And the reason I want to share this now is because I think what's really important for us, and by us, I mean people who care about justice. Uh, I think it's really important for us to remember that change does not usually happen just because we get the right guy at the top to create the legislation that will lead to broad social change, particularly racial change. So, I'm bringing up, or I'm sharing with you all this conversation we had about Wells Fargo 
because I think it's important for us not to get lost in the moment or the high of being away or being done with such a harmful presidency. A lot of times we can just think that, oh, because this person has changed, this person has moved, that good will just automatically come. There's a lot of there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of well to do, well meaning people still really have a, just a misunderstanding of the racial dynamics in this country, and I think that's what really led to just the that 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 was the foundation of the statement that uh, the Wells Fargo CEO made. So this is an old conversation, but I think it's still relevant. I think it's useful for us today, useful to those of us who would like to work for equity. Um, I, and I think the the points that Shannon and I share were are good to hold on to and good to keep in mind for us who, who, who do want to speak truth to power, who do want to stand for justice, particularly racial, racial justice and, and racial equity in, in this country. And I think it'd be great for definitely believers as well, because we're, we're called, you know, we, we are, you know, supposed to be holy and set apart, but we're not supposed to be completely and totally segregated and just un just indifferent to what's going on with the world. We're supposed to seek the best for our neighbor. We're supposed to put our neighbor's good above our own. And that that's, that's justice. That's, that's biblical justice. And so I hope it is my hope that listening to this will color the racial equity or diversity, equity and inclusion conversation in ways that you may not have considered before. And even further than that, give you a different framework or a different lens to approach just social change in general. All right. So without further ado, enjoy. Now, um, but Shannon, I appreciate you, man. You're always down to have a quick chat. I don't think you've ever said no. When I asked you, Hey, you want to talk about this? Sure. Yeah, man. I'd love when to hear you? my, I'd love to hear my own voice, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I'm, yeah, maybe, you know, I think I'm, I want, maybe I should think of some, I don't know, some positive topics that I could cover instead of just poking blame or calling out the evil and just stupidity that's in the world. But today, that's what we are doing. <laughs> so, as I'm sure many of you already know or have heard of uh, recently the CEO of Wells Fargo found himself in hot water over some comments that he made and basically the gist of the comment was that he said was that there that he although he was I think he shared you know regret that there weren't as many um, black people represented in Wells Fargo as maybe he would like but he said that the reason behind that is just this there just aren't that many qualified black candidates for finance specifically. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk about that on the show is because I try to cover topics or call out the nonsense of things that I think might make sense to people. And I think this might that might, that comment might make sense to people could slide by slide on the radar because I'm pretty sure that I would have believed that you know not too not too long ago you know I'm, I'm Mr. Saving Wilk, but you know it wasn't too long ago where I was you know on a number of issues and definitely employment was one of those. Um, I didn't do uh, terrible researching on this. And I only even have, I only have like one reason, one response of why I don't think this was okay. Why well, I think it's false, his statement and why it is just a dangerous and hurtful thing to say. But Shannon, I asked you here for a reason. 
and I want to hear your thoughts. The people been listening, man. There's been a lot, even with even over the break, there's over like over 200 downloads, man. And I, you were on a lot of those episodes. So people been listening. They want to hear what you got to say. So what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Uh, so it's, it's a mess. Uh, and, and I mean, that's to put it simply, but I'm like, this is where I think you can be like, two things are true at the same time. Uh, so I would say because of their recruiting practices or, or possibly because, you know, I don't know their whole recruiting strategy, but I would assume because of their recruiting strategies, they and where they recruit from, maybe their, their uh, office culture, company culture, all these different things, there may not be a lot of black people to recruit from or in their pool. And I say that because, because you know, when you first hear this statement, it, it's, it's really sounding like, or, or the first thought that comes to mind is, uh, it, it really, it sounds like he's saying there, there well, he's literally said there are not, well, there's not enough talent or, or there's a very limited pool of black talent to recruit from. So I know the first thing that comes to mind, it sounds like the person saying, hey, there are not enough qualified black people that exist to work here. That's what it sounds like. Um, and obviously that is not true at all. Like there are plenty of black people that are working in, uh, in finance and banking, um, you know, all, all over the place. But what, it, what comes to mind for me is like, it's probably, it probably is true for Wells Fargo because the places you are recruiting from do not have a lot of black people uh, or, you know, or, or maybe those that are, you know, talented or, or whatnot. Uh, so that's sort of, sort of like the odd thing because I'm like, you you want to look at some of the practices they've done. Um, you know, I think of all the things. I actually, so I did like a touch of research and I just sort of stopped uh, because I started looking up. Okay, what are issues that existed with Wells Fargo? So so I I discovered from 20 from I'm sorry from 2002 to 2016 they open as mil as many as about 2 million deposit and credit accounts like in customers names without the customers knowing so this this was to help them like meet their sales quotas earning bonuses other people holding on to their jobs so that they opened these accounts which made it look like hey we're you know we're reaching this many customers or this many more customers that hurt customers credit ratings so that's a dishonest practice 2016 improperly repossessing service members cars uh so they they're supposed to have some deal where you know if you've been in armed services there's uh certain incentives and different things you get uh they were repossessing their cars uh they're going to have to pay about three billion uh because of this uh the other issue the opening you know credit cards and everything uh 2017 they flunked a community lending test uh and that's to really and that's sort of to show that that we are doing, I guess we would say what, uh, equitable or fair practices by lending money in uh, under-resourced communities. Uh, and like we're doing it in like a fair and just way. They flunked that test. February, 2018, uh, Sacramento sued over a discrimination against black and Latino borrowers because they were devaluing uh, or they, they had suppressed property, property values in minority and low income communities. August, 2018, they had to pay 2.1 billion for their role in the housing bubble, uh, where they improperly represented mortgage uh, mortgages and sold to investors. So that's just some, and I know that was a long rant, but that's that was just, a long list. Yeah, and that's just like a tip of it because I was like, this is too many. I'm not putting all this in the podcast. But basically, when you look <laughs> at that, you're like, okay, one, this question comes to mind. You had no problem finding all of these black people. Uh, for you to become a predatory lender to, or whatever it might be, you had no problem finding all of these black people, you know, for you to exploit them. But then when it comes to finding black people to be like, okay, we want, uh, you know, we want your talent and for you to work with us and be a better company, then you have problems finding black people. Okay. All right. That's one. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's just that. Uh, so, so for me, I, I think really what comes to mind is like, okay, when you look at that talent pool, yes, 
it's probably because of where you're recruiting from and just practices that you're using that that's that thing because there is enough black talent but you're probably just not looking in the right places or uh and i mean by looking in the right places just like you know your recruiting strategies and the things that you look for uh that doesn't really speak to i would my assumption would be cultures of people that other than people that are non-white uh, and then also there's the question of if you're doing all of this and we're saying you're hurting black and brown communities, then even from those black people that are qualified that, that are, you know, that you're finding and stuff, I'm sure there's a moral thing that exists where they're like, no, you've been hurting the black and brown community. So I don't want to work for you. So this is where I'm like, two things are true at the same time. Uh, it is hard for them to find black talent because I believe there's much black talent that they're either not looking in the right places or black talent does not really want to work with them. Thank you. Yeah, for and I think the key thing is that it's not that <laughs> the point is not that there is that it just doesn't exist mm -hmm. point blank. And my issue with the situation, which I think that list you gave kind of just highlights it even more is when when an organization is confronted with potentially racially disparate uh, hiring practices. And the first thing they say is, oh, no, there's just not enough, not enough uh, people of color or whatever group you're looking for in the talent pool. What you're saying is, and particularly as it relates to race, is what you're saying is, no, our hiring processes from top to bottom are completely free of bias and are completely uh, unaffected by societal trends and not just societal trends but just society in general like the the legacy of the of racism in america our company unlike all the other ones is completely completely unaffected by that which is a dumb thing to say because unless you have been putting like consorted efforts into reforming your your company culture including hiring practices then i don't think anybody like if, if you're not thinking about it, if you're if you're just going with the flow the flow of of america is racist and so if this is the first time you're thinking about it you should like you, you should assume it's safe to assume that your practices are are racist and the other thing the other problem i had with it is so after you when you say oh no it's not us then then who is the problem with and you're saying that the problems with black people that black people are not good enough to work here and so by trying to not sound racist you have actually made a racist claim and reinforced racist ideas about black people's ability to perform in professional arenas. Exactly. That was my issue. That was my issue. And yes, like I think you brought up a number of things. And one thing I want to ask you specifically to talk about is just, can you explain like, because I, I think it would be easy to, for people to get confused as to like why, like, well, if black people are here and they're applying for the jobs, then what about people's hiring practices? Because nobody, like, I'm sure Wells Fargo doesn't have uh, practices that explicitly exclude or disadvantage black people. So how could their hiring processes um, keep black people out from being considered even when they're in the pool and even when they're applying? Oh yeah, uh, there are there are so many and and once again, yeah, I have you know I have not worked for Wells Fargo. I have never applied for a job for uh, Wells Fargo, but because of many of the other you know institutions and organizations that exist that do have bias practices, whether they want to admit it or not, or whether it's unconscious bias, I can make a couple of assumptions as to what theirs may be. Um, so one, let's even even as we start first off 
let's even start with um you know the sort of like the uh the, the reference thing uh because you know or, or referral so you know sometimes okay. we're like hey i work for this place i'm like oh my friend is applying let me put in a good word for you you know this doesn't mean you're gonna get the job but by me putting in a word that at least is going to help you maybe move your you know your resume and everything from the the whatever pile to the maybe you know the short list of people that we might sort of look at so uh if you think about it if their if their company is not very uh is not very diverse if it's very homogenous if if the majority of uh workers and especially those with like higher up sort of power and positions are say predominantly white are uh, predominantly white and male and uh, you know we look at friend groups so you know it's is no secret that in many cases um if you're not someone who is you know engaging in diverse relationships you know having uh you know friendships uh people of different cultures or whatnot and more than likely the person that you are doing a referral for is going to also be a person who looks like you or or you know you all were in some of the same circles so even starting right there, in many cases, it's like, oh, let me put in a good word for my friend. It's more than likely going to be a person who is not black or not not black or brown. So that's just a simple referral, like, let me put in a good word for you. Um, then next, uh, we think of some of the practices where, um, of course, you know, they're going to look at your qualifications, like what are some of the places you've worked? Uh, what is your education? You know, like what school did you go to, uh, you know? And so even for some of those places, um, I'm sure, you know, uh, they'll, they'll look and they'll see, okay, great, this person went to Yale, Harvard. Uh, okay, this person went to uh, Morgan State, uh, Howard University. There is nothing wrong with any of those institutions that I mentioned, but I'm sure for many, once again, because of that sort of proximity, friendship thing, uh, or even just some of their assumptions based upon rankings of like, you know their finance program or whatever they're going to be like okay this person who came from princeton or whatever like okay that's impressive we're probably going to move them to this to this interview pile you know whereas maybe the person who went to howard or morgan state you'll be good but they will have had to have done i'm sure so many so many like jobs positions and experience that's like okay yep this person's solid uh, to get that same sort of name recognition or whatnot from that Yale, Princeton, you know, whatever school. Yeah. Um, and then just let me, inter I'm yeah. just going to interrupt you real quick. I saw something that said that even just the appearance of whiteness. So like if you have a white sounding name is equal to about eight years of experience. Mm. So like uh, black people, have to work eight years before they will be considered with on the same level as white people who are just entering the job force. Mm. So eight, eight years. Yeah. Eight so, years. So that's wild. Uh, so, so Daquan has to work eight years before he's even considered near the same level as Hunter. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my. <laughs> so, so yeah, those, you know, and those pieces, uh, you know, and then once again, I, I also think of the, the piece of if many of these other organizations have been biased as well, I mean, that hurts you, you know, that hurts you also, because I'm thinking like, now let's say, you know, with Wells Fargo, we, we know what their CEO said. So obviously if, if some of that, you know, trickles down and that is shown in their hiring practices, then Wells Fargo is not the only person like that. So, so you're also like, there are many, uh, you know, many black people who are experienced and have this great talent. And maybe they didn't work at, you know, a feeder system, you know, somewhere where it's like, oh, maybe Wells Fargo says, oh, we know if you worked for, I don't know, for TD Bank, for this other place, for that place, uh, those are some good experiences. And automatically we're like, this person's probably solid. So these are people that we start looking at. But if they have biased hiring practices as well, you're not going to have many black and brown people coming from those other sort of feeder systems and institutions or organizations as well. Does that make sense? Uh, so, you know, so, so I'm like, those are, those may be some biased things. Um, and yeah, just, just so, so much of that. I think of those are like maybe the three things that immediately pop out into my mind. 
Uh, and then as you mentioned, yeah, it could be sounds of names. Uh, I think there's also even the piece of, let's say if you do get to that interview and everything, I think maybe we've all either experienced this or heard of it, but sometimes it's it's just as simple as someone will say, okay, this person did a, they're solid on paper. They did a pretty good interview. Uh, you know, we have some other applicants. They all did pretty well. And sometimes it's that simple statement of, yeah, they were good, but I just don't know if they're a great fit for the team. Um, and mm, that fit will get you, man. Every yeah, time that fit will get you. And so, you know, that means so many different things because on the surface, it, it really would sound like, okay, it might not be a good fit because maybe, uh, maybe their work style doesn't work well with the team. Like maybe the team is more collaborative based and this person is like, oh, I like to more so just do my work myself in a silo and I'll connect if I need to. Or, you know, or it sounds like, uh, you know, yeah, this person has a different work style. Maybe we're a little more jovial and and laughing and stuff and this person is more so i want to get my work done nine to five and it doesn't gel well with the team now that's what it sounds like on the surface but then you know someone said oh they might not be a, a a fit because generally a lot of people don't question that uh because i feel like i've actually been in rooms as well where that has been said about someone and, you know i've sort of questioned like you know what do we mean by that um and so on the surface it sounds like okay yeah that makes sense but, you know, you go a little deeper and you start seeing things where no one will really say it, but it really could be, yeah, like this person's look is, it just doesn't fit well with the team. This person's experiences, this person's, uh, you know, uh, maybe demeanor, you know, you, you start hearing little surface things like that. They're like, what? And then, you know, you go a little deeper and once again, no one's going to say it, but by fit with the team, you know, you would think by someone fitting, that means they're similar to the, to the team. If your team is predominantly white, uh, predominantly having, you know, coming from these, uh, you know, maybe somewhat homogenous backgrounds, uh, and maybe you're a black or brown person coming from another background, yeah, you don't fit with the team on that surface level, you know. And so I think that's something that's dangerous that may exist as well. Yeah, and another piece that's dangerous about that is because I feel like for the most part, hiring practices go unrecorded mm -hmm. for the most part, because I, I don't think too many organizations keep track of who they hired and who they did not hire and why, mm -hmm. and definitely not the race of those people. But if your goal is to be anti-racist, then you have to, you know, kind of approach everything with that, you know, that critical race lens and look at how a race is involved in everything. And I think probably if a lot of these companies, and I'm not going to say companies, but just companies, organizations, any, any places hiring people, if they looked at the racial makeup of the people who just don't fit for whatever reason, who, if, especially the people who are qualified, who can like do everything, who can check every box in terms of the, uh, the position description, they can do all, they can fill all the duties, but then I just, eh, just didn't fit. Might not be all people of color, but I bet they will be surprised at how, how much more often than not, the people who don't fit are people people of color yeah and yeah, yeah oh. there's there's studies about this and, and before i forget the one that i mentioned about it it was eight years and i'm not just as i'm doing better about like actually having like sharing like links and stuff <laughs> to the things that i'm talking about so the study that i mentioned about and it, and it said yes let me see based on our estimates a white name yields as many more callbacks as an additional eight years of experience. And since in this, uh, in, in this experiment, the applicants' names are randomly assigned. And uh, so basically what, what this experiment did and by the study was called, or this paper is called, was done by the National Bureau of Economic Research. And the title of the paper, which is about 40 pages long, is, Are Emily and Greg More Employable Than Lakeisha and Jamal? 
a field experiment on labor market discrimination. And I will include a link to this in the show notes. And basically what they did was they got four resumes. They were all equal. Everything about them, every single thing about them was equal. Their education, their work experience, even like the, the order that it was put in and everything. The only thing they changed was the name at the top. They had, um, what was it? What they suppose the name? Greg and Emily and Greg and Lakeisha and Jamal. And just in case y'all was confused, Lakeisha and Jamal was the black resumes. All right. And so they sent them out. They sent like, a, I think, a thousand total. And the, the white names, the white sounding names, Emily and Greg got 50% more callbacks. Just, and the only thing that was different was the name. Was the name. Again, link to that would be in the description. I feel like people aren't going to believe that. Uh, but, but I mean, it sounds unbelievable in this day and age where we're supposed to be post-racial, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and I've, I've got one for you. I was, um, now yours is definitely more grounded and credible than this one. So I will say. Some hood research. Yeah. Yeah. A little hood research. <laughs> <laughs> research from the streets. Yeah. But, uh, but no, no, yours, yours is definitely more, more grounded. And, and I mean, if, if I'm able to find this again, I will definitely share it with you. But, uh, but I was, I was looking on Twitter, like when this happened, and of course, you know, everyone's tweeting about it or talking about it. Uh, but there was an individual um, there, I don't remember the name, but it, but it was Heather. Um, and so this person tweeted, uh, and once again, that's why I'm like, take it with a grain of salt. It was, it was their tweet. We don't know, was it, was it true? But they tweeted and they said that uh, they had applied for about three different positions uh, with Wells Fargo, like positions that they, that they knew they were like, they Wells knew. Wells Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. The Wells company in question. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. And so they said, they were like, you know, they were like, I know I was qualified for these because I, you know, the, the things, this and that. So they were like, uh, so they, they applied for th maybe three different positions or three different branches or whatnot. And so um, there's, you know, there's the option to like, to check your race. And so they said like their name is one that is, you know, you would generally like there are a lot of white people have that name, Heather. So uh, this was a black uh, female. So she, uh, she said on, like on those first two, she had put, uh, you know, that sort of that optional box or that thing at the end. And it's like, yep, African-American uh, and didn't, didn't hear anything. And then that's the not third, so even supposed to affect your chances. Yeah. Yeah. Not supposed to. Uh, and then wow. she said that on the third one, uh, she, because she like, wasn't hearing stuff back. So then on the third one, uh, and keep in mind, these were different positions. So, you know, there's always that thing of how did the applicant pool look this and that. But she said on the third one, she was like, you know what, I'm gonna try this because like my name, you know, it can quote unquote go both ways is what she said. So she said on that third one, she did not check that box. Uh, it was just sort of like assumed, you know, and so the assumption was probably like this person's white, but didn't check the race box or anything and got a call back in about four days, I believe, about four days uh, for like, the, you know, to be like, oh, we, we're interested in your application. So now, like I said, that person tweeted this, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but I believe there's some, uh, there's some credibility to it. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I really don't have much else to say about this. This might be like a really, this might be the first time I say this is going to be a short episode and it's actually a short episode, but um, yeah, that's, that's it. That's the, the crux of the issue. And I think there's a lot of times uh, I, I re actually read a paper about this when I was in grad school. This was talking specifically about higher education and uh, it, was, it was written by um, a Hispanic professor. Uh, and he was just going through all of the, he was outlining how much favoritism white applicants get. And, and how difficult it is for people of color to be hired. And basically, he said, this, this, this is the difference that 
Well, this is a this is the the difference in the in the. I guess in the way the, I guess maybe the benefit of the doubt, if you want to call it that, that people are given based on their race. When white people are being considered, are being, being considered in higher education in general, what is talked about and like after they leave, after that person leaves and they're, you know, deliberating, it's just, oh man, just all the possibilities. And it's a, re- it's a really strength-based appraisal of this person. Like, yeah, man, I mean, I know he doesn't have this, this, and this, but look what he could do here, here, and here. And this person can grow and develop and all this stuff. Whereas the conversation around applicants of, of color was from a deficiency-based standpoint. I was like, man, he doesn't have this. I mean, yeah, he does have this, does have this experience and he does go here, but what about all these things? And the, the, the conversation is completely different and uh, a lot of times they said that there are straight up exceptions will be made for white people. People will pull strings to get exceptions to be made just because they know they have so much faith in the quality of this applicant. But then when, um, and it's, and it's different, but and black professors don't have the same leeway to do that with, with black applicants, because as soon as they want to have uh, like, try to try to try to try to flex their higher education muscles, you know, to get to, to bring somebody else up, then the other white members of the of the hiring committee be like, hey, look, guys, you know, we do have to be fair. These are our outlines, these are our guidelines, you know, and we and we gotta follow them. Mm-hmm. You know, a very a wonderfully race neutral reason to be racist, pretty much. <laughs> No, no, I, I believe that. And it's, and, and I mean, and it is sort of funny because I, I mean, that's not funny, but, but, you know, there's the, there's a thing of uh, even depending on your level as well. And, you know, your level of comfort and everything. Uh, I feel like sometimes there may even be a hesitancy among the black person in the room to try to sort of stick their neck out a little to be like, Hey, I know what this person can do this. Cause I will say like my experience, there was a, uh, there was a hire that was made at a, a job I was working at. Uh, I would say I always try to say stay super general when I talk about these because I've worked at some different places. So, <laughs> but uh, but no. So there was a hire made at a, a place. This that place I, I work. I mean, you know what? It wasn't even a place. Yeah, yeah. You know what? They just sent me a paycheck sometimes, and that was it. <laughs> like, but but no. But yeah, there was a hire. Like I was actually on the hiring committee, uh, and of everyone, this was this was the only black male there. Uh, I even like brought it up and everything and and it was like cool like we looked at it I like I did it I gave that view of like okay this this is a black male this is the only one in the pool this is why he's great even with those things that they were like uh, it doesn't exactly tie with this but I'm like well this is what he could do so those things he got hired that's what's up so you know stick your neck out a little but then he was there for about a year and then left I was like, oh, uh. so, you know, like for me, it felt sort of bad. I was like, I pushed to make sure that we did hire this, uh, this uh, black male because the, the office had maybe one other black person. It was an office of at least like, I don't know, eight people or something. So, you know, so we did that. And then he didn't, he, he left, uh, like not even staying a whole, uh, really a whole year. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, I was sort of like, you know, just wondering, like, next time they're trying to hire someone, will I be on the committee? Will, you know, even if nobody verbally says it in the back of their head, will they be like, well, you know, last time you, you taught us into hiring this person and then look what, look what they did. So, you know, sometimes there's that hesitancy. But at the same realm, I, I think part of the reason the person left was because uh, when we get into that diversity versus inclusion piece, because I think yeah. they did make it a little more diverse there but I don't think there were practices and things that made it more Did they of make it inclusive. inclusive. Yeah. Where they really felt comfortable and really loved being there. Uh, you know, and so that's one of the things where it's like, you know, maybe I should have seen that coming, but it, you know, on one hand I'm like, Oh, I stuck my neck out. And then the person like left like in a year, but then on the other hand, I'm like, there was some stuff that your office should have done. Cause it wasn't even an office that I work in. I was just a partner. Uh, and so, but I'm like, yeah, there was some stuff that your office should have done to be more inclusive. And maybe that person would have stayed longer. Yeah. And just the, the whole, the basis of your worry, like, oh man. And there, 
and, and the basis of your worry and I guess their their right to feel like to to feel upset is again operating off this assumption that like even like maybe in this case they're like okay we need to be more diverse so we hire this black person oh we checked our diversity box we've done everything we need to do so now this is the perfect place for you to be and stay and develop and work and pour your heart and soul in and help us develop and grow and the the onus is still put on the the black person the person of color that's hired mm-hmm. and the people of color who 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 are rooting for them mm-hmm. and one thing i will highlight as we wrap up is I was so I was I did so I I googled a couple articles one from ABC covered some things that uh you know covered them the main point from I guess what was this Mr. Sharf's memo which I, I think is kind of not again not funny hi ha but I think it's just interesting that this dude like he typed these words out he i thought he just like said this in a meeting or something and then somebody just tweeted it but he typed it himself Mm -hmm. left a paper trail in a memo and said there is a very limited pool of black talent to recruit from and i like the reframing that representative alexandria or alexandra ocasio-cortez said he said perhaps it is the ceo of wells fargo who lacks the talent to recruit black workers and I think that's the reframe, the type of reframing that needs to happen. Because I mean, like, black people are not to blame for, black people as a whole are not to blame for the position that we find ourselves in. Black people are not, we're not to blame for, for slavery. Um, because people always say, well, I mean, it was the, Af- I mean, other Africans sold y'all. And I was like, but you bought us. <laughs> <laughs> you came over here. Yeah. <laughs> you, there was demand. If there mm-hmm. was no demand, wouldn't have been no slave trade. Mm-hmm. All right. And, uh, well, black pe- and like bl- black people are not to blame for like the, the conditions of the areas in which white people put us in like a lot of times how they organize society. I had another episode where I was talking with uh, somebody about like the projects in in Chicago. I feel like a lot of people, they just go to uh, parts of the city or town where they live in and, you know, where mostly black people are or people of color. And because it's like run down and it's not the best looking, it's like, Oh, well, if this, because white people live here and it looks nice and black people live here, and it looks bad, the difference is the people. So the people are the problem. The people that live there are the problem. But maybe it's the people that live on the good side of, of town that is a cause of this. Like, like society has been organized in such a way to put people. And I'll just go ahead and say it. White people have put things together and have structured things in such a way as to have black people on the bottom rung of society, supporting the nation, supporting their, supporting their, their livelihoods. Yeah. Um, and even if, it, and even if it's um, just the privilege or the access to a certain livelihood, whether or not you actually get to tangibly experience it or not, it's not what's at issue right here. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot. Yeah. Shannon, you got any closing thoughts? Yeah, uh, I I will say you know we we've we've talked about uh, Charlie Charlie Scharf, uh, you know the the Wells Fargo CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not exonerating him at all. Uh, so I'll say, uh, but I I want to throw this in because it ties into some some more things. It's like this this last piece though. So later he did apologize for those comments. He yes, said, he did. yeah. So so did want to mention that he did apologize later. So it's not like I'm double. He doubled down on it, but still. We'll say this. He apologized. He said there, and I'm paraphrasing here, there are talented individuals uh, working at Wells Fargo. I never meant to imply otherwise. And then he says, we haven't done enough to improve diversity, especially at senior leadership levels. This is true. 
And, and so, I mean, I think like what has to happen is they have to be pushed to do that because honestly, there's really not an excuse. Uh, Wells Fargo, I mean, I'm sure they've probably gone through sort of different names and things because, you know, banks always merge and do all these different things. But I think Wells Fargo at its core is one of the longest standing banks that has existed within the United States. So let's say I get it. Until the 60s, you weren't even thinking about black people. Black people couldn't even work for you. You know, so let's just be real. I get it. You know, up until the, the 60s, uh, you know, um, once we were, you know, finally able to, to, to integrate spaces and things like that. But if, but even using that, you've had 50 some, depending, maybe about 60, 50 some, 60 years there's no excuse like you know so 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 he named it but they have to do something about it uh he said we haven't done enough uh to improve diversity at senior leadership levels so they have to do something about it they noticed the problem is this going to be one of those statements where it's like yeah we're just not doing a great job all right you know i acknowledge that my hands are clean or are you really going to do that work um exactly so, yeah yeah i was gonna i'm glad you brought that up because i wanted to say that yeah, it's good that he apologized, but I'm tired of just seeing, you know, oh, somebody says some jacked up, oh, then they apologize. I'm tired of seeing just the apology. Like, when is somebody's going to say that, oh, man, I'm sorry, and this is what I'm going to do better, you know? Because I'm just thinking, like, when I apologize to Monique, I can't just say I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. My bad. I got to mm -hmm. explain in depth why I know what I did was an issue. And then, especially if it's something that's been recurring, I have mm -hmm. to show my plan, like, okay, now how you gonna fix this? Mm -hmm. And I believe yeah, that that's just a personal, personal anecdote, anecdotal evidence. However, systems can change immediately. Like let, uh, I think what's his, um, Chris Rock said this, and I'm gonna paraphrase this. But he said, you know, there are, actually no, this, no, no, this wasn't Chris Rock. It's not the best application. But when, I remember when, when that gorilla, I, I reference this fairly often. When that gorilla was killed, this Harambe. Yeah, yeah, when Harambe was killed, we know the, we know his name. That's how important it is. Yeah. Culture, yeah. You know, like, when Harambe the gorilla was killed, that was the singular time, singular instance of something like that happening. From that one instance, that zoo felt confident enough to broadcast the fact that that one instance was indicative of a systemic problem with how they keep their animals, not even just the gorillas. And so changes were made immediately. Systemic changes were made immediately. Systemic changes could be made. Like, like, I feel like Wells Fargo could have done that as well. I was like, look, where I'm sorry, there are plenty of talented people and we're getting a team together. There's so many diversity, equity, inclusion uh, agencies. Employ like, I mean, that's what you do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm sure like there, there's, there's people out here who can help you. You know, to help you, you know, defog, you know, wipe the wipe the racism off your lenses. Yeah. And yeah, I just wish I I pray mm -hmm. that we'll come to you like people not just apologizing, but then like repenting quickly. And so I feel like this is just as good a time, a good a place as any to go ahead um, and go to God in prayer. So join me in that, Lord God. This is a heavy, heavy issue. Um, Shannon and I, you've blessed us with the gift of levity. And we can often smile and make jokes through the pain. But this is not okay. This is not okay at all. And is just, it illustrates problems like this, statements like this just illustrate the individual heart issues, but also the issues 
at the heart of this nation, the heart of just this, this, this people called Americans. Lord God, I pray that you would use us, Shannon and I, to advance your gospel truth and justice, that you would use the listeners to do the same. Father God, I pray that you'll prick the hearts of perpetrators of this economic violence, Lord God, so that they are so that they are aware of their wicked ways and repent. Lord God, and I pray that they seek your face to seek your heart to determine and be, and be led by your spirit regarding how they will reconcile the situation. And I pray that it will just, whether it starts from the bottom down or the top down, Lord God, I just pray that it is so in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs> I was like, I was like, hesitant. I was like, wait, do I say something here? <laughs> I was gonna say something, but then I was like, I don't know. He's pausing. He's just waiting for me to say amen. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. no, it's all good, man. Appreciate amen. it. <laughs> all right, y'all. That is it. The we're actually coming up on the end of season five, y'all. This has been the longest season ever not in terms of episodes but just in terms of how long like season five y'all started in 2020 around april or march or something like that but i thank you all once again for walking with your boy um, we're coming up on the end of season five and i will try to wrap it up in in a special way something i've never really really done before it's kind of like a year in review giving you all you know so some highlights of the of some of our favorite parts of of my conversations throughout this throughout this season so until then y'all know what to do keep the faith and stay woke